This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven. And today I'm joined by somebody whose book I read a few months ago, actually, Helen Rebanks. It's called The Farmer's Wife, My Life in Days. And it's a day, but also a life. So it, it goes from dawn until the nighttime. And it's the most amazing, beautiful, moving story of Helen, who is James Rebanks' wife and the mother of their four children. And the sort of hidden life of somebody who has chosen to not live in a city, has chosen to get their sustenance from the home and the fields and nature and farming. So ah, kind of excitingly different to most of our lives, I suppose. And for me, I just found it completely transfixing and I read it and then I listened to it in the car. So welcome, Helen. It's, um, it's so nice to have you here and to talk about your book. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> That's lovely. Not at all. I, I wanted to start with maybe sort of setting the scene of this really wonderful description of a great friend of yours, mother's funeral. And I live in the country too. And I remember when we came here going to quite soon after we arrived, actually, there was a terrible tragedy uh, locally and I remember going to that and feeling it was the first time that I sort of fully understood what rural life was like. And this sort of continuity of generations and this real thread, even though where I live in East Sussex has changed so profoundly in the last 50 years, which spanned this man's, this relatively young man's life. Anyway, I, I wondered if we could talk about that because it's singing about the importance of the female sort of behind the camera, behind the household, mm. this person keeping the show on the road. Yes. So that was a, a good friend of mine. I lost her mum to cancer and, and it was incredibly poignant to be around um, as she was going through that and, and to go to this funeral. It had such an impact on me. Um, funerals you know do anyway they bring up that life and death right in front of our eyes don't they and as you're all gathering round friends and family you reflect on the person's life and I wrote in my book about going to that funeral I wonder if it would be helpful if I read a little bit and then that would kind of introduce everybody to the stories in the book I would love you to so this is just as we Everybody's packed into this tiny little church near a lake and it's it's a beautifully sunny day. So it's a sort of trying to a celebration of her life ultimately. So here I go. I strain my ears to listen carefully to the vicar whose soft voice tells us of the life of this woman, where she was born, 
where she went to school, and then, about her getting married and moving to the farm to bring up her family, she talks about her love of baking and how she won prizes at the local shows for her sponge cakes and scones, and how she tended her kitchen garden and always put out wonderful spreads of food. She tells us that despite not coming from a farming background, my friend's mother soon found her feet and made a great job of rearing the lambs and calves. She kept a flock of hens and was always outside helping her husband on the farm. We hear little stories of her taking the bus to watch the football with her grandchildren in the city because she never learned to drive. A warm summer breeze lifts through the trees, rustling the green leaves. A stream runs beside the church and trickles with a quiet flow into the lake in the distance. We're standing near the old front door, which is wide open. I look up to see the little bell mounted in the spire. People have gathered here at this church since before the Normans came in 1066. It has an ancient stillness around it. Sheep graze in the meadow, over the wall, as they always have done. I step to the side slightly to take the weight of my toes in these heels. The vicar describes a woman whose whole life has been about her family and friends and how she cared deeply for them and the land and the animals they farmed. Her love and work mattered to so many people. The church and churchyard are overflowing with those who have benefited from this humble woman's kindness and care. I can't imagine a life spent in a better way and for us to say goodbye to her in such a gorgeous place is so sad yet uplifting. Sound of her granddaughter's familiar voice on the speaker breaks my trance. All eight of her grandchildren say a few words about what they liked about her best and how good her chocolate cakes were and they share favourite memories of their grandma. I smile at James and a feeling comes over me that I've never experienced before. It's as if the vicar is talking about my life and I've stepped outside myself to imagine that this is my funeral. There are many ways to live, many ways to be a woman. I know lots of women don't want what I want. Some would say mine's a small life, but this is how I want to live my life. It is my choice. I chose the good and bad of it. I look for a tissue in my bag and dab my tears away as they roll down my cheeks and James squeezes me close to him. Yes, well that it, oh. for me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's really, it's, it's emotional thinking about it, looking back at that. It did have such an impact on me. Yeah. Considering where we'd come from and me wanting a sort of life away from the farm when I was much younger, I didn't really want to live like my grandma and mum did, doing all the chores and all the mm. running around after everybody else. I wanted more freedom than that. Yeah. And as I met James, we had a few years in in a city in Oxford when he was studying and I was doing all sorts of different jobs to keep things going. And then we moved back to start a family and then we were on a very singular mission (laughs) to get to the farm that we live on now. And that was heavily dominated by James's dreams and ambitions to get to the farm. Yeah. And then having had uh, three children at that point when I went to that funeral, I looked around and I knew that this life was incredible that I was living. I knew that maybe at times I've wanted to change things or do things differently, but ultimately I'm so proud of what we've created here and the values that we've always lived by. And I, I don't know, um, it's evolved into the book that we have here now. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess, the sort of the thing that I wanted to talk about next really is, so you've always been supporting and behind James and the children 
to your own cost sometimes, as as you admit in the book. But then you're obviously such a writer. I mean, I just love this sentence, which you just read out, and it reminded me how much I love it, that you're standing at the funeral and you're wearing these slightly sort of out, you know, not normal shoes. So you step to the side slightly to take the weight <laughs> off my toes and these heels. You know, we all know that feeling, don't we, where we're in our kind of slightly <laughs> ridiculous clothes that we all, convention tells us. But did you have a burning wish to write? Or I, I, I just long to know the process. Oh, Sarah, yeah, so I've loved books and I loved stories and making up pieces of artwork, particularly when I was younger. Yeah. And I like looking at art and, and making art that might help us look at the world a different way or maybe make us stop in our tracks and think about something that's happened in history. Art's so powerful in that way, isn't it? How it can move you. And books do that. And I read memoir and stories Oh, I love just real stories about people's lives that let you in. Yeah. That you can, I think it just builds empathy between us. Mm. So I did take a big gap of time of not making any work and essentially doing all the doing that makes a family life possible, Mm. which is running around and feeding the kids and sorting out all the paperwork and all the admin of a family and taking on that that mum role really and I I just had a creative sort of desire in me to make something of my own that was bubbling away and I wasn't sure what it was going to turn into I'm still quite surprised it's a book in front of us and I might turn to making some artwork next I just love the storytelling aspect of of books that you get right into somebody's head and life and you spend time with them and understand their world yeah. And I didn't really see my world as particularly interesting or special in any way. And I, how did it start? Well, the, the pandemic really was the catalyst for me to have more time. It was that huge pause in life for me that sadly some folks didn't get because they were absolutely relied upon to work mm. through the pandemic. Ours was different in that we were on the farm and we needed to keep the farm running, but we had all the kids around mm. and... It was sunny. We'd just finished our lambing time and James had sent English Pastoral off to find, you know, that final Mm. moment when a book goes off to print and you can't do anything else on it. Mm. And that freed up this space that I just grabbed wholeheartedly. I just grabbed that time, those moments to work on a proposal. And the proposal was a collection of recipes. Essentially, it was to think about what would my recipes be that I would leave for the children if anything happened to me um like a legacy kind of project as they're all growing up and thinking about them moving off and doing things themselves in their own homes I thought oh well if they have mum's recipe book to go with and that would be pretty cool wouldn't it fantastic that's how it started I didn't realize that (laughs) yeah it started like that but once I wrote down a few recipes I realized I had so many more things I wanted to put alongside those recipes. And the first piece was about marmalade, making marmalade with my mum and my grandma. It's a wonderful story. And I hadn't written anything of my own creatively in my own voice since art college day. So that's a good 20 years. But of course, I've been around writing and words and books. And yeah, you mentioned at the start, my husband's published a couple of books and 
I've been the first reader. I've been all over that. I've been like, what have you written? You know, and he's wanted to share um, way before it goes to his editor. Mm. And we have conversations about writing and stories and scenes and imagery and metaphors and all this. So I've been learning the ropes alongside him. So does that really explain a bit more of how it evolved into what it is now? It does. It yeah. does. And, uh, you know, you say your husband's published a couple of books. I mean, A Shepherd's Life, I mean, it was a massive, massive bestseller. Just so if any of you haven't heard of it, which I'm sure you have, <laughs> um, just to put it in a little bit of context, you know, um, it, you know, the Sunday Times bestseller list, Eat Your Heart Out. Oh, it was on for weeks and weeks. Yeah, it was a, um, a real fun time to be alongside. Fun and stressful, I must say. It, yeah. Yeah. We opened up our life and our world and we had all the different languages that The Shepherd's Life was translated in, all the different countries sent journalists to the farm. And I hosted Gosh. everybody and picked them yeah. up from the station and fed them and and met some incredible people. And one of those was your husband. He came along up to the farm, was it a couple of years ago? Yeah, it was. And we've had connections with all sorts and it's been brilliant and extremely challenging. So through that pandemic year, things were really quiet for us. So that meant we weren't on as, as you say, we weren't available for everything and anything. And it just gave me time to work through. So I did a huge body of writing through 2020 and 2021 when the world was like going back into what we now call normal, but I don't know if it's for good or bad. I, I really loved the quieter way of living. Yeah, so did I. Well, there are lots of things that have uh, already emerged from your chatting. I mean, one of the things I I would love you to talk about is your art. And there's a wonderful scene in the book, which, again, I I just found so powerful. And, yeah, it really struck quite a lot of memories in in my own mind, which is when your father-in-law, you have the wake for your father-in-law, a few weeks or months after he'd died and you make a Herdwick sheep out of paper. And I just wondered if you'd Mm. talk about the process of what you then did with this to represent him. Yeah. Well, we were hosting all the farmers for a stock judging event that was to raise money for the hospice that cared for Tom. Mm. And my goodness, we don't need a hospice. We don't know how much we need a hospice, a local hospice, until we need one. And it was like a warm hug around all of us when they opened the doors and he stayed there for a week before he died. So we wanted to gather everybody together and again, celebrate his life doing something that was of him. It was, let's get these farmers and families together and and have a stock judging event in the sheep shed. And this was around Christmas time and and there was a blizzard coming in and we had organized all of the the pens, the sheep shed had been cleaned to an inch of it. You know, everything was tip yes. top. And then this snow came and we didn't know how many people would turn up. My goodness, people like get together on these farms. They like to see what other people's sheep are like and stock and yeah. um, come and yeah. have a, a drink and a get together. And we hosted this. So there was... Uh, two breeds of sheep, Swaledales and Herdwicks, and prizes and raffles and all sorts of things to raise the money for the hospice, which was phenomenally successful. And then on the side, I was doing an art project for the Calvert Trust, which then was hosting holidays for disabled 
children for families to go and stay in the Lake District so they could have an outdoorsy kind of holiday. So it was two things at the same time. I was working on this sheep and she was actually a fiberglass model, a life-size model of a Herdwick that you could paint on and decorate. So it was, all had that sort of basic coat of grey over the top of it. I did a very simple grey. And then I had the idea that I would get these shepherds and shepherdesses to essentially hand print the sheep with brightly coloured paint, like kids would hand print their their palms. And I wanted to call the piece In Safe Hands Mm. because I fundamentally feel and believe that these landscapes that we live in are cared for by safe hands. And we need to look at farmers and families that are maintaining the land as stewards like at the importance of that work and value it for what it is and support people to carry on doing these ancient practices so i i got all everybody fed and i made big pans of ham hock broth which the recipe's in the book mm. and so i'd been cooking for a good week or so beforehand and made all this broth because it fills people up it warms them it's it's a meal in a bowl so it's it's easy to serve and everybody had come in and Lots of ladies had brought tins of baking as well, which was wonderful to support me and help me. And then I said, right, okay, everybody's fed. Let's, uh, can I just ask you to take part in this art project? And a few quizzical looks like, what's Helen getting us to do here? What's she asking us to do? And uh, everybody participated with like such happiness and joy and wanting to get involved when they realized it wasn't complicated I wasn't asking them to do something wildly weird and the sheep was covered in bright handprints and she looked brilliant and it was it was different and it just symbolized that they all put their hands on this and we were all together and we all did something as a community and for me that's just it's brilliant when you feed everybody you nourish everybody and you you have good fun together and it's it's so rewarding it's just I don't know I can't describe it any other way yeah and it, I love the way you describe the different handprints so like there's somebody without a, a little finger because he's had an accident mm. uh, some agricultural mm. accident and there are women's <laughs> hands and men's hands and children's hands yeah it's again it's unbelievably atmospheric section of the book I thought Aww. and so filmic actually I could so see it in color. Oh, you know, we could talk for hours, but there's one other thing that I just think is so important for me to draw out from my reading and listening to the book, which is obviously the importance of, uh, importance of food. And the thing I love, I mean, I, I've written cookbooks too, but the thing I really love about your recipes, and as I say, I read them and marked them, and then I listened to the book again in the car, and I found myself practically wanting to sort of very illegally right <laughs> while while I was driving because I wanted to remember the recipes because they weren't necessarily recipes that sort of broke a mold but I felt that you had cooked them a hundred times and they weren't about being flashy they were about being tasty and honest and good and you know, there were so many examples. There's a, there's a fantastic kitchen table chicken pie. There's what you call a kitchen table. There's a panettone bread and butter pudding, which again I've made, but I just wanted mm. to make your version. <laughs> and then the the um, the pinnacle for me was the ham hot broth at your 
father-in-law's oh. wake, you know, but there, there are so yeah. many. They're interleaved all the way through the book, whether it's marmalade or the terrible story when the dog ate the, the birthday cake. The birthday cake. cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every story came from food. Yeah. Every single story came from food in there, really. Well, I understand that now. I hadn't realized that. I, I thought perhaps it had been a diary, but I, I mean, I couldn't more passionately recommend the book as a recipe book. And I feel as we go through the winter, you know, that there's so many sort of really warming, both emotionally and stomach lining recipe, you know, they're, they're just, they feel <laughs> right for this time of year. So many of them I felt, but yeah, so you've always cooked, you've always been, it's been something important to you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Sarah, for describing all of those different bits in there. I, you know, it's my book and I keep having to remind myself how many I put in. There's about 50 55 I think yeah and like you say it's all nourishing simple not breaking the mold there's nothing new in there but it's my my version it's mum's version yeah. uh, for the kids and there's not complicated list of ingredients no. there's not a complicated method I'm self-taught mostly from Ready Steady Cook yeah. which was on the tv when I was growing up and it used to come on after school I'd race in to put it on, watch it for that 30 minutes and study exactly what they would, what are they going to do with the bag of groceries that they spill out onto the counter Yes, and the chef has to make something in 30 minutes. And that's pretty much essentially how I cook now. Same here. (laughs) It's very ad hoc. It's very like, what's in the fridge? What have I defrosted from the freezer? It's based around meat, good meat and vegetables that we know where it comes from. I don't think food needs to be complicated. And I despair at school at the moment. Um, I've got kids at school and they go into lessons and it's food technology lessons. Mm. And I'm like, where did the technological part of this, what happened to cooking lessons? Yeah, quite. Let's think about (laughs) (laughs) making it simple and let's not have three lessons to make a fruit salad. One, to be demonstrated how to make it. Two, the second lesson to... actually make it and the third to analyze what we did and how we could do it better let's do three lessons of three different like you can let's come on I get really frustrated about things because the national curriculum the teacher it's not the teacher's fault they're doing an incredible job but their their hands are tied aren't they with all these rules and regulations I've always given the children knives and scissors and you know supervise them and help them yeah um Tom likes doing the mushrooms when I'm making something and he cuts them into funny shapes, but it's not going to stop them tasting nice in, in a risotto or a casserole or something. Um, anyway, we have wonky carrots and I get him to scrub them and, and to peel them. And it's, it's good skills when they're little, isn't it? Yeah, to get them so to, much, yeah. To join in in the kitchen. And so have you still got all four kids at home? We have. Amazing. Yes. Our eldest is, she's a week off turning 18 and Mm. she's the chef in the family. She's working in a local restaurant at the moment. Brilliant. High level stuff, Ah. junior chef. And she's teaching me now how to make things better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. Good. And then down to how how old is your youngest? Youngest, he just turned six in September. So, okay. Yeah, he has a different idea about food. He's much more interested in playing Lego and dinosaurs and coloring than sitting at the table. But um, yeah. we do encourage him to sit up. And that's what the 
the book with the kitchen table on the front cover was all about coming together, sharing meals, sharing my life, sharing the diversity of what the different things are, the elements that I have to deal with, and speaking about the the unseen work, the domestic sort of glue that holds it all together. And I'm just like blown away every day. I'm getting messages from readers that just resonate. It resonates with them. They feel seen in a book that they might not have read, you know, seen themselves in a book before. And gosh, that's wow. That's hugely rewarding. Yeah, well, it is wow. <laughs> and Helen, will you, uh, uh, is there going to be Vol 2? <laughs> I am. It took a huge emotional outpouring to create this and a huge amount of work and dedication at the moment. I don't have any, any plans to do a volume two. Creativity takes you in different directions. And I love conversations like this. It makes you think about what's resonated with people and what's sort of jumping out. You never know what might happen next. I'm open. Good, good. Well, very lovely to meet you. And uh, The Farmer's Wife, My Life in Days by Henry Banks is something that I really passionately recommend. And all the details will be in the podcast notes. Perhaps also we'll put the recipes in the podcast notes as well, the, the ones that we've mentioned. So thank you, Helen. It's a joy to meet you. And I hope to meet you again soon. Oh, thank you, Sarah. It's been lovely. Thanks for listening to Grow Cookie to Range with Helen Ree Banks talking about her book, The Farmer's Wife. Next week, I'm actually taking a step back and Steve Head, who's our biodiversity expert and kind of our nature guru, really, at Perch Hill. And he's actually going to be chatting to Adam about how to and why to make ponds, large or small, and that it's still really worth it, even if they're tiny, and the effect that it has on the wildlife in your garden. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.